You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Riverwise Podcast. So uh, thank you again so much for this interview. Uh, this is big, especially as we're trying to get all our ducks in order for this local election season coming up. So without any further to do, um, I don't know if you just want to jump right into the questions or give like a short introduction of yourself and your legal experience. Uh, how would you like to do this? Um, well, thank you for having me. This is really, really important. You know, education is the key. And uh, like I told you the other day when I spoke to you, uh, unless people know how their government is supposed to work, they don't know that it's not working for them. So, uh, you know, voter education, um, election education, government education is real important. Um, well, what do you want to know? My name is Crystal Crittenden. I'm an attorney. Uh, by profession, born and raised in the city of Detroit. I have spent all of my professional uh, legal career at the city of Detroit Law Department. Didn't mean to stay this long. (laughs) But uh, after I got there, I realized that uh, Detroit, the city that I love, is entitled to quality legal representation. So I haven't been able to make myself uh, leave I've okay. held every position from staff attorney to corporation counsel, which is the uh, head of the law department. I was appointed by Ken Cockrell and then again by Dave Bing when they were mayor of the city. And I'm currently a supervisor in the litigation section. So uh, I know a little bit about the city, a little bit about city government and its charter. So I'm ready to jump right in there so we can get this education piece going. Well, thank you so much. So uh, humbly uh, honored from this because you are the point person that many people called upon when they said, you want to have some questions about city government? Crystal is who to talk to. So let's discuss Detroit's form of government. In Michigan cities, villages, and townships all chartered through the Home Rule Act under a particular form of government. Detroit's form of government is strong mayoral form of government. This form of government is written providing legislative duties to city council and executive duties to mayor. Legislative duties for council include budget and approving contracts and mayoral duties include appointing all administrative officers and day-to-day city operations. Can you please share from a legal perspective a better understanding of what citizens should expect from the mayor and city council. An example, as a citizen, when I have a challenge with this, I should go to mayor. And when I have a challenge with that, I should go to council. Right. So let me let me back up a little bit first. Um, the Home Rule City Act is a state statute. It was adopted by the Michigan legislature. And what it is, is it's the law of the state. If you want to incorporate as a city or a township, a village in the city of Detroit, you have to incorporate just like Coca-Cola and Fago. You become a corporation. Uh, you have to actually follow the Home Rule City Act. And there are certain things that you have to do in order to get permission to be incorporated. Uh, you have to agree to adopt a charter. And under that charter, you decide what type of city you want to have. Detroit, like most cities across the country, and this isn't this isn't even unique to the United States. If you go to Greece, you'll find uh, similar types of uh, obligations if you want to incorporate as a city. In Michigan, you can have either a week 
mayoral form of government or a strong mayoral form of government. We have a strong one like most cities do. You find a weak one in small cities, places with small amounts of, you know, small numbers of people who live there. Under a strong mayoral form of government, the mayor, who is the highest elected official of that city, he gets to make all of the decisions when it comes to appointing people who will deliver services to the residents of that city. So he, he appoints all the department heads uh, under the charter, which has to be approved by the state. You decide which departments uh, your city government is going to have. And the mayor appoints the department directors who will head up each of those departments. If you want to offer transportation and public works and water services and sewage services, uh, police, fire, all of these are departments that have to be uh, called for by the charter, which is adopted. And the mayor gets to appoint all of the people who manage those departments and they are answerable to him or her. They serve at the pleasure of the mayor. And so uh, under our charter, we have a mayor and we have a city council. When you, when you get your charter approved by the state, you have to have a legislative body as well. So the Detroit City Council is the city of Detroit's legislative body. And when we, when we talk about legislation, we're talking about they actually adopt ordinances that are the local uh, laws of the city. A state statute is a state law and an ordinance is a local law. City Council was responsible um, for adopting those ordinances. They also have some other duties in terms of uh, overseeing the budget of the mayor's uh, departments or the city's departments, approving contracts. Uh, they have control of the purse strings for the city. And this is, this is pretty much what's replicated if you look at other forms of government or other levels of government as well. If you look at the county clerk, I mean, I'm sorry, the county. Uh, the county executive is the highest elected official. He's the executive of the county, and they have a county commission, and they're the legislative body for the county, and they also control purse strings. Same as with the Michigan legislature and the governor, and on the federal level, when you're talking about the president of the United States and Congress, the president oversees uh, all of the executive branch departments of the United States, and the United States Congress is the legislative body, and they also have control over spending for the United States. So it's the same type of setup. It's just on the local level. Um, and so your question, I'm sorry, I had to do a little background. And please forgive me. Uh, no, I, I appreciate everything you said. You actually led and uh, saved me a little bit of breath, the listeners listening to me, because you touched on a couple of points that I was going to bring up uh, later on. Uh, you went right into some questions. You went right yeah. into some questions. I, I, I'm a, from a family of educators, and so I kind of like to set the set the table before we start eating so people, we're all on the same page when we start consuming um, this information. So your question is, uh, what can we, can you repeat your question for me again? So... More so, uh, can you please share from a legal perspective a better understanding of what citizens should expect from mayor and city council? Meaning that if I have a challenge as a citizen, I should go to the mayor when this happens and I should go to council when this happens. That's a great question. Um, so people think and they show up at city council meetings and they give council a full year's worth if things are not working, if they're not getting the services that they expect um, being, you know, delivered from their city. 
Well, city council is the legislative branch of government. They don't have control over any of the department heads. So if you've got a big pothole in front of your house that you want to have, um, you know, patched, or you have a, a home across the street that needs to be demolished, your street light on the corner is not working. People should will show up at the city council meetings and complain to city council when in reality it's the mayor who has the the authority and the responsibility of making sure that those department directors dispatch employees to take care of those problems for you. City council uh, is the very, very public face of the city because they meet in open. They have to meet, uh, have a public meeting at least once per week. Uh, it's on television. You know, they, they have public comment. People come and express their concern and their dismay to city council. But city council really doesn't have any ability to even make those department heads come to the table and respond to citizen complaints. All city council really can do is roll those concerns up to the mayor. Now they do have the ability, if there's a, a contract before them or uh, you know, city council is, I mean, the mayor is trying to expend some money, they have the ability to vote on those expenditures. So they can hold up a contract or an expenditure until someone comes to the table and answers some of these concerns. But in terms of actually getting you know, the problem remediated, it's the mayor who people need to be contacting, the mayor's office, who they need to be bombarding with questions and uh, complaints if there is some executive fun function that's not working. Uh, hmm. You know, the money that that all of this, the, the, the tax dollars and the grant money, that's our money and our tax dollars, right? That's where people may not connect the dots, but, you know, the police officers in your neighborhood, the fire department, the streetlights and all, that money is paid for either from money that is given to the city from another branch of government or, you know, in grant money or appropriations or tax dollars, property taxes, income taxes, whatever. It goes into what's called the general fund. And that money is what's used to, to deliver services to people in the city. So if your government's not working, you have not only uh, a right to speak up, you have the responsibility to speak up, but you need to speak up to the right people. And so it's good to go to city council. It's good to go voice your concerns to council, but you also need to back that up if it's an executive function that is lacking and contact the mayor's office. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And also for our listeners, information, uh, the other forms of government, you mentioned the weak mayoral form of government, which works kind of where the mayor is kind of in the role of a city council president, how we see it in Detroit, and also the city council city manager form of government is when the council appoints a city manager to run the day-to-day -day operations of a city while approving key government appointments. Uh, right. So these are the three types of governments, uh, city governments that a uh, city here in the state of Michigan can have. And we have the strong mayoral system. And that's just some information for the listeners to run away with when they say, OK, what are the other types? That's it. Yeah. Um, and, and most large cities have strong mayoral form of governments, too. I think, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some other cities have, have tried out some of the other systems. And uh, mm -hmm. I think it's pretty much a. Uh, unanimous that the strong mayoral form of government is the type that works best when you're talking about large cities with a large number of people and large masses of them. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of leads to, to my second question. Uh, 
Mayor is the city CEO of the city of Detroit, carrying out the policy set forth by council. Uh, you touched on a city ordinance being a law. What's the difference between a law and a policy? Right. Policy has no effective law. Like a policy is usually um, for internal um administration of your department, mm-hmm. right? You might have a policy that people can't wear open toe shoes uh, okay. to work, right? But you can't mm-hmm. get um, you can't get a civil infraction or a misdemeanor offense for violating a policy. You might get fired or disciplined by your employer for violating the internal policy, but a an ordinance that is adopted by city council is a law so you can actually be prosecuted or fined for violating a law you can't for violating a policy a lot of policies actually mirror laws you know it's the same the policy is the same as the ordinance um if you think about a state law uh adopted by the michigan legislature a city ordinance Mm -hmm. is the equivalent on the local level uh, city council also passes something called a resolution, right? You might see city council mm-hmm. pass resolutions all the time. Resolutions uh, are usually for an event. They're not long-term. Like they resolve that on next Thursday, it's going to be uh, recognized as Kari Frazier Day, uh, right? That's just for that one day. It doesn't have any um, long-term a uh, long-lasting effect like an ordinance. An ordinance has the effect of law and becomes a law when it's actually passed by a majority of city council members. Okay. And that kind of leads in the in the same direction when we talk about differences and understanding because understanding the language is so important because it can get overwhelming and confusing. Uh, I remember. My conversation we had, I gave the example. My mom went to Central High School, graduated in 68. She had a local government, local civics class. Everything I've learned about the local government has been independently kind of hearsay. I I meet some people. They let me know what's happening. I watch some city council meetings, but some of these terms kind of throw me off. Um, And and of these terms, it's great to know these differences, policy, ordinance, resolution, but also the different groupings of this. The mayor appoints many directors and department heads. The mayor negotiates their contracts of which need to be approved by council for them to assume their positions. And in our municipal structure here in Detroit, there are also boards, commissions, and task force. What role does a department play in the city of Detroit? Uh, great question. So under that charter that we adopted, uh, the P- and the people have to vote on a charter. Once a charter is promulgated by a charter commission, uh, it has to be put up for a vote. And the people who live within that city can vote as to whether they want that charter to be the governing document for the city. If it is approved, that it becomes just that. It becomes the Bible, the governing document. It's like the Articles of Incorporation for a Corporation, right? It prescribes proscribes uh, what elected officials uh, in the city of Detroit, the people want, what appointed positions they want, what departments they want, what services they want their city to deliver. And so, you know, by right, neither a mayor nor a city council can do anything 
other than what is identified in that charter, right? And so the mm-hmm. people of the city of Detroit have adopted a charter and they've said what departments they want. And so those departments are found in the charter and the mayor is responsible for appointing a director who then appoints a, de- directory, uh, a deputy director and staffs that department with employees. And that department is then responsible for delivering whatever charter mandated uh, services are in the charter. For instance, uh, you know, police department, of course, people of the city of Detroit have said they want a police department and it's headed by the police chief who was appointed by the mayor. There are cities, however, who have decided that they do not have the money for their own independent police forces, right? And so they have the county or the state uh, partner with them to provide police services for that city. Our city charter, though, has used to one time have many, many more departments, but the people identify what they consider to be the uh, the deal breakers, right? The departments that they couldn't do without in the 2012 charter. And so those are the ones uh, that we have now. And so the department is simply responsible for delivering the charter mandated and identified service. So if it's public lighting, uh, the public lighting director is responsible for making sure that public lighting gets delivered. If it's water and sewage, then the water and sewage department is responsible for making sure that the residents in the city get, you know, clean, potable water and uh, sewer. So that's what the departments do. They deliver city services with tax dollars. Okay. So Okay. That's that's great information. In a commission, what is what's the commission? So commissions are, and the charter sets forth that uh, the mayor and city council may impanel commissions. These are usually identified, uh, with the exception of the charter mandated commissions. They're usually identified for a specific purpose. Same as task force, right? You might find out that there is a a problem with uh, racism within a particular department. So someone could impanel a commission with a very specific and identified task to come together to try to work. They will do investigation, they'll conduct interviews, and at the end of that, they'll prepare a report and recommend uh, changes that could help remediate whatever problem was identified, or maybe the report says everything is fine. But they usually come together around a specified goal and problem to try to solve that problem. Um, The charter puts, you know, there's some commissions within the charter that are charter mandated, like the the Board of Police Commissioners. And that came out of, you know, there's a DWSD commission. Uh, The Board of Police Commissioner um, was put in a charter after the 1967 riots. Right. The people mm-hmm. in the city of Detroit decided that they wanted to have um, and, you know, after stress and big four and all of the problems that were attendant, uh, the racial problems within the police department as it related to interactions with civilians. The people decided they wanted to have a civilian oversight board actually embedded in the police department. And so the, mm-hmm. the board of police commission uh, was born. And so they are an actual charter mandated commission. And they actually work in conjunction with the police chief. They are the policymakers for the police department. And they're also the board um, in front of which you might go if you wanted to file, make a complaint against a a police officer. So these are civilians. Uh, And with the last charter, the commission members 
you know, they changed the way they, they actually get commission members on the commission now. Some are elected, some are appointed, um, but uh, they're a charter mandated commission. But uh, city council could actually impanel a commission to work on an identified problem. Um, but it wouldn't be, unless it's, it's identified in a charter, it's not a charter mandated commission. Okay. And board. Because there is a board of zoning, right. what's what's a board? Those are all called for um, by the charter, right? And so mm-hmm. a board might be embedded in a particular department. Um, there's a board of ethics. There's a board. There are a couple of boards that are actually in the charter. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just what it says. It's a, has a usually has a chair and a vice chair, and they meet. And they are, if it's a board that's required in a charter, they're meeting for a specific purpose. Like the Board of Ethics, they hear complaints. If you're complaining that a city official um, did something that you found to be or believe to be unethical, you can actually make a complaint with the Board of Ethics and they will make a recommendation. They'll do an investigation. They don't really have any power to remove anybody, though. They can't yeah. say, you know, Mr. Mayor, you violated this ethics uh, provision. All they can do is make public their um their findings and actually make a recommendation but um they're not elected um they're usually appointed and uh it's if you know even in listening to this task force commission board council a lot of this work seems to be repetitive doesn't it yeah and that's where it can kind of be confusing you know and and it kind of leads to in my research i found that many appointments made by city council are unpaid volunteer positions yeah for Um, their appointments unlike that where many of the appointments made by mayor are paid positions is there a reason that it functions like that um yeah, the reason is because of the, the language of the charter. Uh, the charter allows the mayor to make appointments and charter also allow, and the city code, the Detroit city code is the misdemeanor ordinance book. Um, it allows the mayor to pay certain people for certain positions. And, you know, we can go back and forth all day in terms of whether that's a good idea, whether it's a bad idea. You know, there's mm. some school of thought that if you are volunteer- volunteering your time, your talent, your energy, and your resources to an event, that you will be a more honest broker, right? Because you're not getting paid, right? You're doing this mm. because you're obviously interested in the subject area or you're committed to the city or whatever. So there's a, it's a big school of thought that that will help get people who have more of a heart for the issue drawn to the position. There are other people who think not paying folks is problematic because it, if you, if you put the wrong people in these positions, then they'll look elsewhere, you know, for their remediation. Um, the remove. I can't even say the word to get paid. They're going to look someplace else yeah. for their compensation, and so, you know, whether you're paid or you're not paid, the key is to make sure that you put the right people in the right positions, right? People who have a heart for the people, a heart for the city. Because, I mean, I know a lot. I, we've seen examples of people who are getting paid good salaries, and they still, um, you know, were beholden to people. Uh, financially, we know, we've seen positions where, you know, situations where people weren't getting paid at all, and they were the most honest people that you could have for the job. So, you know, no matter what type of government you have, the key is to make sure that you're putting people who want the job in the right re- for the right reason in these positions. Okay, and 
with this, I guess, in the in the flow of this mix of boards, commissions, departments, and task force, uh, looking at something like the police commission, which Riverwise is strong on, this needs to be a completely elected body, independent for the people. Uh, as these changes takes place, just in your opinion, how does this impact the form of government structure if more of these departments or commissions or boards become elected positions as opposed to appointed positions? Um, you know, you know, like I said, if you've got the right person in the position, it doesn't matter whether they're appointed or elected, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so, you know, we've had elected officials who have not served us well in the city of Detroit before. Right. We've had, we've had some great elected officials and we've had some who weren't. So I'm not sure that just I mean, what you do, you'll get the mayor or the city council, whoever the appointing person is or the appointing body is. You will, um, you know, deny them of the opportunity to stack a board by putting three or four people on the board who are just going to do his or her agenda. Right. If all the positions are elected. But in mm -hmm. the real world, if you're electing a mayor it can be argued that you trust his decision-making when it comes to his appointments, right? Because if yes. you didn't trust that person to make appointments, then that person shouldn't have been elected in the first place. So, yes. you know, it's a double-edged sword. You just, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. If you if you don't trust the person who you elected to make that appoint, appointed position, uh, then you probably shouldn't have elected that person. Okay. And... What are the advantages and disadvantages of Detroit using that strong mayoral system? Uh, kind of in that flow of that same question of like, uh, basically, we trust in this person. Um, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of that strong mayoral system? And why do, why do so many large cities use that form of government? Right. Well, because they centralize power and authority, which should, which should in the real world help identify the person who you want to hold accountable, right? You know, mm -hmm. streetlight's not on, the house hasn't been demolished. You know who it is that you need to go to to have that done. You know who it is you need to uh, to challenge when it comes time for re-election, right? You know who the mayor is. You're, you're centralizing uh, that authority in one person. And hopefully that one, hopefully that one person has a larger vision for the city instead of piecemealing it to several different people. If the person has a plan for the city, then he should be able to to know, you know, where they want to concentrate dollars in terms of rebuilding the infrastructure and, you know, partnering with the, the public school system, you know, with relate as it relates to the schools and, you know, demolition and all of that. Where if he if he has a bigger vision. Um I think that one of the biggest dis disadvantages to um this type of system when the 2012 charter was adopted by the people, uh, we went to charter by district, right? We cut the city up into seven little, uh, seven big pieces, seven different districts. And then we, we um, elected one person from each district to be the council representative and two members at large. So we still have a nine member council, but we have seven people, one for each district and two who represent the whole city. And I think that yes. a lot of people thought when that happened that what they were doing is putting more authority within uh, 
a district for a particular council person. So if you're in district two or district four and you've got a problem in your area, you contact your council person. A lot of people thought that this change would give the council person more authority and autonomy to actually work to, to redress that problem. But it really didn't because all of the executive functions are still under the control of the mayor. Right. So having this type of strong mayoral form of government with a council by district kind of creates um, some uh, conflict, some apparent conflict, at least, in that there's an expectation that people have with respect to their council people that can't be met because of the way, you know, we have this strong mayoral um, form of government. Um, the mayor then put district managers in each of the seven districts, right? And so each of these district managers arguably probably has more power than the elected council person to actually get something done in a particular district because that district manager is appointed by the mayor, answers to the mayor, has his or her uh, ear, the mayor, the, the ear of the mayor, and, uh, you know, can probably do as much, if not more, than the city council person to help you, even though that district manager is not elected. A lot, of, a lot of people, you know, these are not your elected representatives, but they do have the the power and the authority to actually effectuate change within your, your district. And that, that leads me to a question uh, right in that lane. You're, you're going right to where I'm touching on because I was going to talk about that Department of Neighborhoods. Uh, like I remember the press release for uh, Mayor Duggan and speaking about what the district managers would do. Uh, what was the process the mayor executed to establish these district managers and, and put that under that Department of Neighborhoods? Was that something that well, was put in the charter? Was that uh, something? How, how did that come about? Yeah, it's both in the charter and the Detroit City Code. That the under the charter, the mayor has the authority to appoint necessary assistance. Right? He can point. He can appoint anybody he wants to do almost anything to help him do his job because he is mm -hmm. one person. He or she is one okay. person. So they need. They have um, charter authority to appoint as many people as they need appointees to help the mayor uh, deliver the services. And so. That authority is found in the charter. And then if you look in the code, there's actually a code provision uh, that allows the mayor to appoint district managers to actually mm. work within the districts. So okay. a lot of people don't know um, anything that your government does. It's not like private practice. In private mm. practice, people can do a lot of things without getting any permission or doing, you know, change gears and go in another direction just because they want to. Most of the things, if not all the things you do within a city government, you do either because you're required to do it or you're forbidden forbidden from doing something else, right? Now, with so many people leaving city government and taking that historical knowledge with them, a lot of people who are left don't know why it is they do things or why it is, you know, something functions the way it does. But mm -hmm. if there is usually going to be some sort of charter or code authority for everything that someone in city government does, or else if they don't, I mean, they have a, a concept in a law called an, an ultra virus act. If you are doing something that you are not um, authorized to do under the charter, there's a question as to whether it's even lawful, right? Yeah. It may, it may be an illegal act and an ultra virus act is an illegal act. So, um, 
you know, if, if the mayor is appointing people, it's because he has authority under the charter or the code to make those appointments. Okay. So as we even look at that, because that just naturally leads to if something was before, as I remember these stories of old Detroit, um, and I, I'm, I'm, I was born in 82, uh, graduated 2001, Northwestern, go Colts. But I hear these stories, especially like Dan Aldridge will talk about like there was neighborhood city hall. So some of this at one point existed. Um, it, it bringing back something that's in the city code and in the city charter that no longer is enacted. Is that something that council votes on? Or is that just something that like, hey, I'm mayor, I see that uh, that there is a provision for a department of horses and carriages. I'm going to bring that back. And that's what I'm doing. Like, how does, you know. That's a great question. So if it's something that's created by code, the city council would have to vote to do it. You would need a majority vote. If it's not currently in the code book, we don't, meaning that we don't have an ordinance that authorizes something, city council, yep. someone would have to bring that to the table. It could be a city okay. council person. It could be a constituent, a constituent. Uh, an elected uh, elector, someone who lives in the city, could show up at city council and say, I want you to bring this back. I want you to bring that back. City council would pass an ordinance. And if they if it passes by a simple majority, which is five out of the nine council people approve it, then it goes to the mayor's office for him to consider. If he vetoes it, which means that he rejects whatever ordinance was passed, then it goes back to city council and then city council has the authority to override the mayor's veto, but now they need a supermajority. So they need at least six votes out of the nine in order to override. And if they do override, then that ordinance becomes law. If it's okay. something that the mayor wants to do, he would have to have authority under the charter in order to do it. Because again, like if it's bringing back, a, if he wants to create a new department or he wants to create, a, you know, something that that hasn't existed that isn't called for and it's not in the charter that's one of those ultra virus acts right and so right now we're undergoing a charter revision um in the city of detroit and at the end of this revision whatever the product is that these um commissioners uh come up with is going to have to be voted up or voted down by the city of detroit if people want you know additional departments or they want other charter mandated uh, departments, then they need to show up at those charter revision commissions and advocate for the creation of those departments. The city of Detroit once had many, many more departments than we have now. But with, you know, the flight from the city and the, the loss of the ta tax base, a lot of those departments uh, were demolished, right? They were we no longer have them. A lot of the functions that were performed by separate departments have been consolidated into a single department. But okay. hopefully the city will grow. Hopefully, you know, more people will be coming. The tax base will be increasing. And so if they're like, if we wanted to have a department of uh, education or whatever it is in this, within the city of Detroit, uh, mm -hmm. and um, you want it to be protected by the charter, which means that no person could abolish it without, you know, on his or her own, then it would have to be done by charter. Something else I wanted okay. to say too, difference between a charter revision and a charter amendment. What we're undergoing right now is a charter revision. That's a rewrite of the entire charter. Um, mm -hmm. If there are just some little tweaks to an already existing charter provision, 
then you don't have to have a charter revision, right? That can be done by city council. But if you're talking about rewriting the whole thing, uh, you need to have a revision. And that's what we're undergoing right now. Okay. Uh, great information. Great information. It, it kind of still has my mind going that like, okay, so even if something is there and not enacted, council still has a say. Just because it's on code, if it's not active, it still needs to be voted on. It's not like the mayor just has the auspices to enact what and how, however, uh, depending upon what's on the books, because as you've mentioned a couple of times, there are many departments now that don't exist that one, at one point in time did exist. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, just think just to think of it this way. Um, most governments, at least in, in Northern America, there's a, a built in system of checks and balances. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people don't want either branch of government, even though they're co-equal branches. Well, because they're co-equal branches, they don't want one uh, section or one uh, part of the government to be able to have unfettered authority without a check by the other branch, right? And so um, if the mayor wants to do something and it's going to cause, it's going to cause, he's going to need money from the city of Detroit coffers, some tax dollars in order to do something. City council has to approve that expenditure, right? So the mayor Mm -hmm. can't go create new departments. He can't even hire certain people if it's not within a budget that's been approved by city council without council authority. Even though by right, he is the executive, he has the right to appoint people, he has the right, you know, to to run all of the the, uh, city departments. If it's going to take money, he has to go to council and get council to approve it, right? So same with council, if they wanted to enact a new ordinance and they get a majority, they get five of the four council people to agree to it, they can't adopt and enact this this new ordinance without it passing to the mayor and the mayor can veto it. So there's a check on both of their authorities. So neither the mayor nor city council is able to act without trying at least to work collaboratively and in conjunction uh, with the other branch of government. So all of those types of checks are built into local government, state government, federal government. And so, um, you know, it's, it, 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 it works. It should, in theory, work. If both okay. brokers working on both sides. And, and that leads me right into another question when you talk about thing, money coming into the city. And this is more so hearsay and understanding, you know, the city has other business partnerships. I know Chase, you know, things that I'm hearing about and sort of seeing, you know, between Chase and between everything with, uh, with Rocket Mortgage. Uh, how do the public private partnerships work? How does that come together in the city? And, and if it is a public-private partnership, does that change the, you know, kind of the, I guess, the authority where a person is working in that space? You know, you're not necessarily getting paid by the city council, uh, but you can't work with the city through the mayor or you're not getting you know, or you can work with city council without the mayor's approval. How how does that work? So um, under the the city charter, 
and uh, I think there's some code provisions as well. Any gift to the city has to be approved by city council. Okay. So if someone in the private sector wanted to gift the city money, city council has to approve that gift, approve of that gift, right? They can't Mm -hmm. give money to the city without city council first approving it. These public-private partnerships, um, a lot of times they're set up so that uh, the private industry, whatever it is who's partnering with the city, is actually paying the money, right? The city's not paying it, right? So there's nothing for the city council to approve. The individual corporation is paying for it. Um, And so, you know, a lot of times that happens, so stuff doesn't have to get approved by city council, right? I'm going to control my the purse springs, the purse strings, uh, but I'm going to work with you all. So if, as long as it's not taxpayer money, the city council really doesn't have any role in deciding how the money is spent, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're talking about a contribution by the city where it's a partnership where the city has to contribute in conjunction with the private industry, then city council would have to approve the city's expenditure. But... And you, if you look, I don't know if you ever look at the council agenda, the, the agenda has to be approved and it has to be um, published before there's a council meeting. You'll see all sorts of line items where people are trying to partner with the city or trying to donate something to the city. And it's it goes to the Detroit City Council for approval. Okay. And when we talk about that, another another entity connected to the city that goes directly when we're talking about money, like the DGC, Detroit Economic Growth Corporation. How does that entity function? Because it functions, but it almost functions to encourage business. It, it seems to, the, the goal is to partner with businesses. Right. So those, uh, the DEGC, those those are created by state law. They are, well, they're operating under authority of state law, right? They're not okay. necessarily charter mandated departments, just like the DBA. The DBA is not per se a city department, but it was created under the authority law in Michigan, and it was created to help facilitate certain transactions within city government. Um, If the city of Detroit owns a building, for instance, like KMAC, Home and A. Young Municipal Center, former city county building, city of Detroit owned it, right? We, We still own it, but we owned it, but there were outstanding bonds. We we issued bonds in order to help pay for improvements and all to the city. We could not own the deed to the property and hold hold the deed to the property as long as the bonds were outstanding. So we created an authority, the Detroit Building Authority Act allowed us, I mean the Building Authority Act allowed us to create the Detroit Building Authority so that they could hold the deed to KMAC while these bonds were still being paid off. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we became a landlord in our own building as did Wayne County that has the court, Wayne County Circuit Court, are in the city. it's in half of the city county building, thus the name city county building. Um, so they pay rent to the building authority and we pay rent to the building authority. But under Michigan law, once those bonds have been paid off, we can get the deed back and dissolve the authority. We've just never done it. And so hmm. those, those uh, corporations outside of city government are actually created by uh, authority of state law and not city law. Okay. Okay. Uh, and when we talk about the connection of these city, these city corporations kind of connected to city government, um, this 
this is what can be overwhelming because you said that these aren't necessarily under the auspices of the mayor or city council, but they work with the mayor and city council. So it's almost like the DBA and the DGC, they're independent bodies that just have relationships with city government, correct? That's, that's correct. And okay. for, for a number of reasons, in a lot of these cases, there are legal reasons that will not allow some of the activity uh, that is performed in these, um, you know, these organizations to be performed by city of Detroit, right? Or if they mm. were performed by the city of Detroit, it would have to go to city council. It would have to, you know, certain things you have to do. So these, the law allows these uh, alphabet uh, agencies to exist outside of city government. A lot of, like they're not open. It's, there's, there's a whole lot of things that city council has to do that these things don't have to do. City council is, is subject to the Open Meetings Act, which means that they have to deliberate in public anytime they're debating an issue that will affect the city of Detroit. But a lot of these other um, entities don't have to do that. The mayor is not subject to the Open Meetings Act because he's not a body. He's just an individual person. But when you're talking about city council and all, some of the you know, the backdoor decisions and backroom decisions that are made by some of these other organizations couldn't be made by city council because they're not done at a public hearing. Okay. And as we talk about public hearings and this private public partnership, one of the biggest questions just looming over Detroit, I think, moving forward for a while is in what ways does Detroit's municipal bankruptcy have lasting effects on the city budget? Uh, how can voters empower our elected officials to operate beyond the debt to deliver our city services? Wow. So don't get me started on that bankruptcy. A little by way of background, I was the corporation counsel um, immediately before we filed for bankruptcy and um, was an appointee of the mayor and knew that the city was headed in that direction. Um, the state of Michigan was trying to get the city to go under a consent agreement under Public Act 4 because I knew they wanted to put us under bankruptcy. So as a corporation counsel, which means I was the lawyer for the city, I actually filed a lawsuit in uh, Ingham, Quarter, Ingham County Court of Claims because uh, the state was allegedly putting us under this uh <laughs> this precursor to an emergency manager because they say that the city had an $18 billion debt problem, which we never had. It was just not true. And so um, the state at that time owed the city of Detroit a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And under state law and the newly adopted city charter, uh, the city is prohibited from doing business with people who owe them money, including, it doesn't say with the exception of the state, right? Uh, just as a city is in, is precluded from doing going into business with somebody who owes it money, and at that time the state owed the city a whole lot of money, and so we filed a lawsuit, um, you know, challenging this consent agreement under the emergency manager law, because it was all based on something that wasn't true, and that's that the city of Detroit had this eighteen billion dollar debt problem. Um, but they, the state was successful in getting an emergency manager appointed, and he took the city through the largest municipal bankruptcy in the history of the United States. Um, he went in saying that we had an $18 billion debt problem, and then after he shaved $7 billion worth of debt off of this debt, he said mission accomplished and went away. Now, 
you don't have to be a math major to know that if the debt was really $18 billion and he only shaved $7 billion worth of debt, we should still have an $11 billion debt problem. But the whole, the city's um, financial problems were exaggerated in order to justify putting us through the bankruptcy. And the reason, the whole reason that they wanted to put um, the city of Detroit under the bankruptcy is because there were people who just philosophically disagreed with the notion that a city would ever be providing pensions for city employees, right? They wanted everyone to have to participate in the private market when it came to the retirement plans. And the city still had uh, a large number of pensioners. And so... You know, in 2010, before the city filed for bankruptcy, the law firm that actually took us through the bankruptcy had written a paper entitled, Can Municipalities Use Bankruptcy to Solve Their Pension Woes? And Detroit is mentioned in this document 19 times in footnotes, to, you know, on, beginning on page one. And so that was the whole purpose for the bankruptcy. It was to get to shed um, those... Uh, guaranteed pensions um, from off of the cities, from, so the city would have to pay those pensions. And the reason that Detroit was chosen is because Michigan actually enshrines pensions in protection, constitutional protection. Our Michigan constitution says that a municipality cannot impair the pensions of its employees. And so some of the proponents of Detroit's bankruptcy are now going around the world to Athens, Greece, and to Puerto Rico, telling those cities how to get out from under their pension obligations. And because they could do it in Detroit, when our pensions were protected and shrouded in protection by the Constitution, then they're saying we could do it anywhere. So having said all that, your question is, what can the city of Detroit do? Um, I don't know about you, but I know people who personally filed for bankruptcy. And after they filed for bankruptcy, you see them, they're driving new cars, they're taking trips, they're wearing, wearing furs, right? Bankruptcy is supposed to give you a new start, a new, a fresh start, right? It's supposed to shed you of debt so that you'll be able to be able to afford to live. And so conceivably, since the city of Detroit emerged from this bankruptcy, our financial picture should be better, right? We got out from under the, the obligation of having to pay all those pensioners that money and, uh, you know, paid off some of our debtors. And so I don't think that the bankruptcy at this point should have any role or play any role in preventing uh, those in power from ensuring that we get this, the quality services that we're entitled to with our tax dollars. If the bankruptcy was really successful and we got that fresh start that bankruptcy is supposed to provide, then it shouldn't be an impediment to anything going forth. So people should be able to go to their mayor, go to their city council and demand uh, the services that we, uh, that we deserve. So I just, Long, short answer to a, I mean, long answer to a short question. I think that the bankruptcy is really a non-entity when it comes now to delivery of city services. Okay. Uh, wow. This is, uh, this was such a fruitful discussion and interview. Uh, you, you help sew up not only some, some structure questions, but also just some of the things we're facing. Uh, as we come to a close, I want to discuss every a, a little bit of your opinion of of where things are with the revisions to the city charter what should we be looking for uh as a lot of these questions thank you so much uh Suzanne Clegg helped 
uh, form and review the city charter, which was something to read for on her behalf. So some of it was uh, was collected from her and our effort to get this voter education out there. But uh, with these revisions, what should we be looking for in this new charter that you know of? Um, and uh, also, like, I guess, being optimistic of what can happen and empower citizens, uh, what else do you think uh, we should be keeping in mind looking at this upcoming election? So I'm not going to say that I've read the revisions, the, the um, proposed revisions to the charter. Um, I, I did have some conversations with some of the charter commissioners about, you know, some of the direction that they wanted to go in. Um, frankly, I think that it's more important that we elect the right people into office because, uh, you know, the charter that we had before this charter was fine. The current charter we have is fine. You've just got to elect people first of all, who are willing to actually read the charter and figure out what their responsibilities and their rights and obligations are to the people of the city of Detroit and who are, um, you know, committed to doing the work for the right reasons. So no matter what the charter says, um, they've got some smart people down there to attempting to revise it. Um, no matter what the, the charter says, if you don't have the right person in office, it doesn't really matter because people are going to do what it is they want to do. But we, as the electorate, we have an obligation as well. We need to make sure that we show up and we speak up and we let our elected officials know that they work for us. And if they do or don't do what we want them to do or don't or not do, then we're going to hold them accountable, right? There are too many people who know that they can disregard the will of the people, you know, disregard what their charter mandated uh, responsibilities are and still live comfortably among us because, you know, we're not going to call them out when we see them in the grocery store. We're not even going to show up to city council and it's on Zoom now. All you got to do is log in. You can, you know, give them a piece of your mind from the comfort of your own home, but there aren't enough of us engaged. And so many people know that they can disregard our will as uh, electors and still get reelected. And unless and until that changes, I'm not sure that it matters what the charter says or what state law or federal law says, because people will do what it is they want to do and actually not be afraid of the repercussions. So, you know, two things, we got to identify right people to put in office, support them. We've got to make sure that when people are not doing what it is they're required to do, that they don't get reelected. And we need to show up and speak up more often and more frequently than we do. And the best way to show up and speak up is to make sure that you vote in every election because, you know, voting once every four years for president is fine. But your life is affected by what happens on a local level every day. Right. The people who are making decisions for you at the city council table or the county commission table or even, you know, in, in Lansing. Those are the people who we need to uh, let them know that we're watching and we ex we have certain expectations out of them. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this was a great, great information. Uh, I'll probably, as I gather this and get it up, I'll get this to you, but uh, I'll probably have some more questions closer to when we get closer to our candidate forums and everything. Um, and love for you to, you know, if you have a question or two to, for us to pose to some candidates, we, we welcome that. This was beyond fruitful. Also, uh, Mama Annette, Gloria House said, 
when are you going to run for mayor again? That was one of the things she wanted me to relate to you. <laughs> God bless her. Uh, tell her that unless and until we get a strong uh, grassroots organized group of folks yeah. here, great. Yeah, I think it's a, it would be a hard toe, right? There's a lot of money yeah. spent and I'm it, a candidate like me who, you know, has a heart for the people and, you know, wants to do what's right would have a difficult time, but tell her I appreciate the the sentiment. I I I agree. I definitely agree. You just schooled me on a lot more information myself about how how things can be taken. We're gonna look to get this information out, and hopefully, you know, bit by bit, we can uh, you know get some more info into people's hands about the functions of it because I definitely feel like I've been schooled just in learning a lot of differences in ordinance and you know and, and kind of feeling like the kid in the slow class for a second just to know, well, you know what? the right track. Like I told you it's not our fault. We used they used to teach civics. So you know can you imagine in some schools school districts are no longer teaching civics because mm-hmm. you know, they know that if you if you don't know how your government is supposed to work, you don't know when it's not working for you. I mean mm-hmm. there are some school districts that have stopped teaching kids how to read and write in cursive, right? And so if mm-hmm. you can't if you can't read and write in cursive, then you can't even read historical documents like the constitution which was written in cursive writing, right? Yep. When I was um, growing up, um, you know, they used to try to entertain us on Saturday morning with cartoons, but even on the commercial breaks, I told you this the other day, they had things like a schoolhouse rock where they taught you how uh, a bill was introduced by, you know, your legislative body. So, you know, this lack of education is what is creating the lack of knowledge, but I thank you so much for having me come on here today because this is important. And uh, people, you can go online. You can go to MuniCode, M-U-N-I-C-O-D-E, and actually click on Michigan and then click on Detroit. And you can actually read both the Detroit City Charter and the Detroit City Code. So I encourage everybody to do that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. 